Derek, our first episode of the new year. It's the it's April, but it's our first episode well, of the new year. We only took we a four month. We only took a four month break because you know we were recording all the way up to December, right? Like we. Oh December yeah, yeah. 31st. No breaks. Yeah. No breaks in between there at all. No, sir. Uh, I just decided, you know, my birthday was coming up. I'm just going to take a quarter of a year off. <laughs> Funny, we we're in you know, multiple text threads together, and I was like, "I'm not gonna wish him a happy birthday in here. I'm gonna see him on Sunday. I'll just wait till then." So, this sure. is my like official happy birthday today. because yeah. uh, there was I there were messages it. about it, and I was like, "Nope, I nope, I, I gotta not do gonna do person. it." Yep, I refuse. Yes, yes. Well, your version of in person, which is over a Zoom call, but it's, it's the only in person I do. <laughs> <laughs> Be that as it may. So, Derek, we are finally back on our show. Your list, my command, which I'm amazed I remembered it because it has been so long. The last time we spoke, we're like, hey, listeners, we've got a special treat for you on our next episode, which will surely be in a couple weeks. Uh, And it was a couple months, but that doesn't matter. We are here to talk about one of Derek's very favorite movies in the world, Cinema Paradiso, a movie that I had not seen until you mentioned it to me. Like, it was what I'd heard of, and like, sure. oh yeah, and it perfect for a show like this, because it was on one of those lists for me for years and years and years and years, and then you were like, oh no, it's great, it's like, top five ever, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna have to check this out. So now, this is the second time I've watched Cinema Paradiso, but mm. for you, I feel like this is probably, you've probably seen it more than <sighs> Eight, nine times, maybe, and that might be uh, a conservative um, mm. number, honestly, and I had never heard of it, honestly, until I was in undergrad, and uh, my academic advisor, of all people, um, mm. in the political science department. Um, this is when I was a poli well, I guess, I mean, I have a bachelor's degree in political science, so when I was a poli major, doing that stupid shit, um, I uh, was in his office, and um, Dr. G, I'll never forget, he had a Cinema Paradiso poster um, behind him, and I was like, what is that, what is this movie, uh, what is that language, because I'm an idiot, of course, uh, <laughs> cinema, cinema Paradiso, what, not Paradise, <laughs> like, what are we doing here, and um, he's like, oh, if you ever get a chance to watch it, and he said, it's my favorite film of all time, and um, said, okay, mm-hmm. well, that's fine, mine's When Harry Met Sally, so, you know, I, <laughs> I beat you already. Same, uh, same. Exactly, same, same, and um, so... I don't actually remember like what led to me watching because it was only like five years ago, something like that. Um, but I, I don't know if it, it had just popped up on um, Criterion or uh, something. And I said, okay, I'm finally going to sit down and watch this film. And I was, um, I don't know what word the kids use today. I don't know if it was, I was shook. I was taken aback. I was floored, flabbergasted, um, just in a state of just, complete immersion. I, I, 
I don't know what to say about this movie. Um, mm-hmm. In a different way, you remember when we did Mirror and the conversation was like, what do you say about this? That's how I feel about this film, but not in the way of like, I don't know how to unpack it. It's, I think it's a perfect film. And that doesn't mm-hmm. give you a lot to, to really analyze on podcasts a lot of the time. But um, it is a film I've went back and watched, like I said, at least seven, eight times in the past five years. Uh, I, I watched it with my wife um, the first time she was really against one, you know, she's one of those American film goers where it's, uh, do I have to read words? Even though she. Reading? Yeah. Yeah. The, I, the woman with an advanced yeah. graduate degree is like reading. Working on a PhD uh. and she's like reading. Oh, so beneath me. My gosh. But we'll watch like Shit's Creek with the subtitles on. Uh, so it's not too loud. So, I, you know, I don't, I don't get people these days, but um, she had watched it. And teared up during it. And this was before we had a son. And she was like, do you ever think we'll have like a Toto um, situation? And that, so that's like, we revisit that all the time with our son now because he's, mm. he's three. And we we jokingly uh, call him Toto from time to time just because of, uh, of Salvatore's character. Um, so right. what, I guess, because it was, you know, I knew it was on your radar and I was, um, you know, jabbing you about it on Twitter. What did take you so long? Was it just just getting around to, to having the opportunity to, to, to catch it. Yeah, I think getting, a, I mean, there's a couple things. Um, you know, there's a million movies that, you know, you're supposed to see or you need to see, like the list. You know, I think I mentioned on another podcast, like, actually, I mentioned it on a podcast with you a hundred years ago. I was just re-listening to the episode we did on Temptation of the Christ on pop culture case study um I bet it's and we bad. mentioned is it bad it, on a side no note? it's actually not no it's actually pretty good i think it's better than this but don't tell anybody um <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting because in the and this is the very first time we ever recorded we bring up this idea of the list of shame like hmm. you talk about that's why you hadn't seen temptation of christ sure for so long like oh it's been on the list blah 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 and i had mentioned on that show yeah like the longer you live the longer you watch movies the more movies you watch it's like that list gets exponentially larger right right? because you'll watch a movie on that list and you'll be like that was really great and then you'll want to see where that came from and the other things that director did or that actor actress did it just expands that tree gets more and more full right so um it's hard to catch up with these things this is also one of those many movies where it's like which version do I watch? Do I watch the director's cut? Do I watch the theatrical cut? Is there really a major difference? You know, so you go through that. And also, I think back when I was first interested in watching it, like it wasn't as readily available as it is now. Like, we have to understand that we have lived long enough to see the advent of streaming explode, right? So now you could just like open up your TV or your computer and just search, and there it is for $4 to rent, right? That was not the case <laughs> like 10, 15 years ago. 10, 15 years ago, you'd actually like, especially a movie like this, like you'd have to really search for this. This is, a, I mean, and with the director's cut, you still kind of have to do that searching, right? Because if you look up where it's streaming, they just have one version. They just have the theatrical cut. Like, you can't even find the director's cut streaming anywhere. you got to buy the physical media in order to get that. So so even though we have so many things right now at our, at our fingertips, like, there are still some things you really have to search for. Um, so I think that's why it kind of took me so long. And also, 
movie like Cinema Paradiso, it's on all the lists of the greatest films ever made. So you know you're not just going to be like, ah, let me just put this on in the background. Like, you got to like, okay, let's sit down and watch Cinema Paradiso really focus. And I think that's also why it takes me so much longer to watch movies that aren't in English, right? Because movies that are in English, like, if you want, you could just start it in the background as you go grab a drink, grab food, blah, blah, blah. You're not really going to miss much, right? You can understand it. You can hear it. Whereas this, I may be Italian, but I don't speak Italian. So I'm like, okay, I got to sit down. I got to read. So the like, title I, threw you off, too. Is that, is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I... I truly, truly despise this idea that people have where it's like, I don't know why you won't watch something uh, that's not in English. It takes no more effort. Like, that's a lie. Like, it is more effortful, sure. like, by its very nature. And sometimes that will stop people or it'll be like, that goes further on the list because I'm not in the mindset to engage in all these different ways. Like, I got to sit. I got to watch. I got to read. I got to do these concurrently. And I got to, like, piece it all together in my brain, right? I think it can be harder to get immersed in a film when you don't speak the language that it's set in. And, I, and it's crazy to me that that is a a wild thing to say now. Like there's so many people who are like, no, you're just a dumb American. Like, yeah. no, I, the elitist, like, it it's takes a, the elitist take on that, right. on that, you know, not being a barrier and uh sidebar, I guess I, I have a, a Facebook group with just myself and my sisters and my, my mother that I got started about five months ago on, on movies. Then I'm, mm-hmm. I'm into it and it's, they, they watch movies like it. most people watch movies here and there. And, uh, you know, ramping up for the Oscars, I'd start to, I started a, let's see how many of these films we can watch that's nominated for, um, best picture. And I added, uh, of course, uh, drive my car. And my poor mother, um, oh, no. was serious <laughs> with me. She was like, I, I had to sit here and stare at the screen. For, for three, three hours. hours. And I, and I, I did the, the jackass elitist take of like, well, I mean, are you not intelligent enough to just, you know, be able to consume that information in various forms, like visually, uh, just seeing what's happening and also just reading it? Like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Maybe she was right. She might have yeah, been right. She might have been. She might have been. Yeah, absolutely. I do. By like- the way, did you, did you watch Drive My Car? Oh, no. No, I had them watch no, it. No. <laughs> I'm not that stupid. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Three hours? No way. No, I Absolutely. can't. No, no. Yeah. Um, that, that's the other thing. This movie, I remembered it being longer for some reason. Like, it feels like, not in a bad way, not like, yeah. oh, it's so long. But it feels like so grand in scope in terms of this person's life that it feels like it should be like a two-hour and 40-minute movie. And it's absolutely not. And it kind of... You know, the second time I watched it, it just kind of flew by. Hmm. Like, the first time I watched it, like, I definitely was like, okay, I'm fo- okay, this is really good. I'm really focused in on it. I got to gotta buckle down here and really get into this. Uh, whereas this time, I was just like, oh, yeah, I remember this. This is nice. It's not like, like it a, does feel very comfortable. It's not like a watching uh, Boyhood or something, you know, where you're watching this long, <laughs> drawn out, oh, now he, right. he's the age of nine. Wait, is there hair on his chin? He might be 11 now or something <laughs> like that. Like, even if it's you... definitely not that. Yeah, even if you go the... Um, <laughs> You know, the, I kept thinking about Blade Runner when you're talking about the various cuts, right? Like, even if you go right, through right. the director's cut with, and I do want to know if, if you've seen that version and your take on, on that additional scene here or there and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But even if you do that, it's still a pretty uh, fast-paced, I guess you could say, film. I mean, like, they, they move yeah. from piece to piece pretty uh consistently yeah yeah and yeah. you're right though because it's taking in the totality of an entire 
really the, not just the the life of this this boy right and, into manhood mm-hmm. and all this, but the entire town and all the people in it. And that's obviously the, the story in and of itself. It I guess because of the scope, right? You're talking a 30, 40, 50, however long year period, it feels like, oh my gosh, this is going to be one of those movies where I'm invested for those full three hours, and I don't even know the runtime. Honestly, after seven or eight times of seeing it, I don't remember the runtime, but I just know that it, it can't be under, or it can't be over two hours. There's no way. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, so let's talk about the director's cut versus the the original theatrical cut. I mean, director's cut, I think, is more romantic, um, it kind of ties in more with this, with the girl, um, than just being the story of this, this boy and this, and his mentor, essentially. I think it's better. Um, I don't think it's wildly better. Like, I don't, I don't think you're losing anything if you watch the theatrical version. Like, I think you're still going to get a similar feeling from this movie. And, uh, frankly, for people who don't want to sit for three hours, because the director's cut, I think it's like 176 minutes. So it's like, you know, two hours and 56. It's right there. It gets that three hour mark. If you want like a shorter, uh, version of this and see if you like it. And then like, it's the same thing, like not to bring up, you know, nerd shit, but like Lord of the Rings, right? If someone was watching that for the first time, I wouldn't be like, okay, extended editions, sit here for four fucking hours, you're just gonna like it. Um, you want to start with the, the theatrical, something that's more easily accessible, sure. right? And the great thing about this is I I think both versions of this are five-star movies. Like, I, I, I think they're both great. I think this, to me, for my money, is, and it's not even close, really, is the greatest child performance ever caught on screen. I don't, I don't know how they managed. Like, I, when I first, like, kind of yeah, read up a little bit about Problem this movie, Child or the kid from Kindergarten Cop. That's, are you sure? Both. You're yes. sure about yeah, this? I am. I am. Man. Yes. yes We're going to take a hit on Twitter. I'll tell you. So, when I, I mean, you'll probably bring up the piano or something. That'll be, that'll be yeah. the one they go to. Um, but I, you know, I kind of read up very briefly about this and I'm like, oh God, this is going to fucking suck. This like, fuck, I got to hang out with this kid for three hours. That's why you didn't watch this. So you saw me post about it on Twitter for years and you look at the synopsis (laughs) one time you're like, that damn Derek, what's he got? This, this is a trash movie going into it. Cause I hate, cause I hate children. No. So I don't hate children. I hate child (laughs) actors. There is a difference. There is absolutely a difference. Um, and it's, you know, there's, I can't remember who it's attributed to, but there's like this old adage in the movie industry that like great child acting is not great child acting. It's just great editing. Like you just, <laughs> you find the right bits to show here, but he's such a major part of it. Like you can't do that. You can't cut around this kid. Like he is the focus. Um, and there's never really a moment here where like I'm annoyed by this kid at all, which is rare. Even in great child performances, there's going to be a moment here and there where you're like, Oh God, we shut up. This fucking kid. Like I'm done. And you never really get that. And his relationship with his mentor here is like, it's one of my favorite relationships I've ever seen on screen. Like it's beautiful and it's, you know, and it's real. I like the fact that it's not just like, Oh, he's such a kindly old man. He never says a mean word to, no, like he's like, fuck this kid. Like I, like, and you see that relationship build. Like, it kind of starts with him kind of chasing him out of the screening mm-hmm. room. And he just, like, you know, he keeps showing up. So he's like, all right, well, I got to do something with this kid. I got to, <laughs> I got to, I can't spend all my energy chasing him around the screening room. So maybe I could teach him something. And it, it, it builds so slowly that as you watch it, you're not really sure where it's headed. 
But like as everything kind of comes to fruition, and even when he comes back later and takes care of him a little bit, like it's really moving. Absolutely. Like I, I was really, really impressed by that relationship in particular. It is interesting uh, when you're talking about you know the I guess the premise of having to watch this child, right? Um, the the way he's actually played up, it on paper it it wouldn't be insane to have the the, the impression, man, he is annoying. Look at all the things he's doing to totally. make it so much harder for Alfredo, and, and he's so energetic because he's, he's a child. Exactly, it's like... it, it, literally, it's like a he treats the theater like a jungle gym, and he's hanging off stuff, and he's, <laughs> he's you know hanging out with the kids who are smoking, and and like he's doing all of these things that we would find to be annoying if we were just slightly older than that group that we're seeing, right? Yep, the yep, annoying yep, younger yep. kid, especially if you're an older man and you love this theater and. Um, you know, you want to protect it, and it's it's a place of uh, it's like the church for him, right? And yeah. then he realizes that it's the same for Toto, right? Like I think it's his realization that oh, he has that he has this passion that is transcendent in the way that I do. He's just a kid, and I've just got to be able to hone that in a particular right. way. And I think that's where he you know he has a certain level of empathy for him, and that's what I love about it, right? Is as annoying as this kid is, and and we're kind of in the same boat. Especially, and I've always said this about this movie, if you really like movies, it's hard not to like this movie. Because I think you you empathize, um, and not just empathize, I mean, like, you uh, have a level of transference almost with the idea of Toto. Um, Especially if you grew up watching movies where this kid is going to do whatever he can to get his eyes on the screen. And um, being able to identify with that, and, you know, even with Alfredo looking at it and saying, man, you're... You're such a headache, but God, I don't think anyone understands how you see the world or how you see cinema except for me. And like you said, that's right. the moving stuff. That's the stuff that you intimately connect with and that you don't expect to, to uh, at any point. Because I'm thinking it's the love story, right? Like going into the movie, I'm thinking, right. okay, this this girl that he likes, yada, yada, yada. But the love affair is Toto and the town and it's Toto and Alfredo and it's Toto and cinema um, it's literally his interconnected affairs with all of these things mm-hmm. that don't necessarily have to be in conflict with one another. And, right. I, and I find that to be super neat. Yeah, absolutely. I, it, something I wanted to talk about in, like, I definitely noticed it the first time I watched it, but I really kind of zoomed in on it this time is I'm trying to figure out exactly what the movie is uh, is saying about religious control of media like they're you know at the start of this there's this priest who runs who essentially owns the theater or the church owns the theater and so he by proxy does and his job essentially is to watch the movies by himself and anytime there is something objectionable too much violence too much sex whatever it is to have that scene marked and removed right and then by the end of the movie you know a townsperson who won the lottery buys the theater and kind of rehauls it and like shows everything so what was your reaction to kind of those extremes and what and what you think they're trying because i'm not sure actually what it's trying to say about it because it's not as if once they show everything everyone is like well behaved and great like there is a certain amount of like raucous uh reaction in both situations whether because the adults know that stuff has been cut out like the cuts are so obvious this is not a you know this is not uh you know, Thelma working with Martin Scorsese, like cutting things perfectly. This is just like, we're just going to remove it and go to the next scene. So what was your reaction to that? Or was that something you noticed? I I did notice it. I'm, 
Here, here, okay, so I noticed it in the film, obviously. Here's what I didn't notice, uh, and that is that I did the exact same thing for when I showed this film to my sister, brother-in-law, and nephew. I've told you I've seen this countless times, right? So in one of the showings, uh, I had went through and, and just paused on any of the clips uh, when when you're actually seeing in the movie where there is, especially at the end, where you see the scenes from other films and there's like a, a breast shot um, or there is uh, the scene where the, the well, you young teenage boys are like masturbating, right? Um, I marked the I, I marked the the time in our time stamped it essentially, and so when I showed the film to my sister, brother in law, and my nephew, who is I guess at the time he would have been twelve, um, I like would pause it at at those time stamps and say, "Okay, Jaden, look away for five seconds." Right, uh, because mm-hmm. I was thinking, well, I don't want to show this film to my sister and her. Kind of be like, now, Derek, I don't know if I want my my twelve year old son to see other you know boys masturbating. But then I look back at him like, that's what he's. I mean, he's 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 twelve. <laughs> he's, yeah, right? like this is no longer a mystery. He's like he's <laughs> he's probably saying, I feel seen for the first time if he sees that. <laughs> and so I'm wondering, it, very similarly, like I'm the priest that's trying to censor stuff that they're already aware of. Like, what am, what am I doing here? Like, I'm right. trying to restrict things uh, from the eyes, you know, if I'm the priest, I'm restricting things from the eyes of adults that already exist in that same universe, right? Like, there's nothing, this isn't like the, you know, this isn't like Pornhub level stuff going on. This is things that they're right. doing in their own homes. And I, here I am, right, um, you know, not in a you know, priest's garb or anything, but doing the same thing. Like, ah, Jaden, look away. There's young boys smoking out the balcony. So I, I don't really have right. an answer for you. Um, I just, I would, that's who I would be if I were cast in Cinema Paradiso 2, I guess. A right. uh, person right. that ruins everything for everyone. <laughs> you know, it's so interesting because, like, obviously not an American film, um, but I couldn't help thinking about how we in this country deal with sex and violence on screen. How, you know, you can watch people get dismembered, you can watch buildings explode, and that's all fine. Uh, but God forbid you show a dick or a titty and it's like, nope, nope, cut it, cut the fucking reel. Like we are done here. Rated X. No one can see this. Like, it's so interesting that that's the way we look at it. And especially given the fact that you talk about, like, these are the things that we get so freaked out about are things that we're all doing. Like it's things that, it's mm-hmm, things that are happening mm-hmm. in our homes. I'm not blowing up any buildings, but most of us, especially most of us in relationships are having sex. Right? Like, and it's just no. showing it on Get screen. Get married, Dave. Get married. That answer will change. <laughs> well, I think having kids maybe is what changes like, what happened last time? This, oh, this Dave, little monster Talking happened. about these things I know nothing of. Sex. Yes. Oh, please. And, of course, it, it throws an extra layer of guilt on top of it when you've got the religious aspect, right? Because you have, you know, you have this priest who, you know, by all, by everything we know in this, is not having any sex, right? He has taken his vow of celibacy. We hope that he is uh, staying to that. Um, but there's this idea, like, yes, this happens in the homes, but we don't talk about it. Sure. Right? We don't ever mention it. And... It's, I don't know, it's one of the, to me, it's one of the best things about cinema is being able to see these amazingly beautiful people be romantic on screen. Like, that's, that's what, that's one of the things we watch movies for, which is why I have this very strong reaction to this, like, I don't know what's wrong with these kids, Derek, but these kids online who are like, yeah, that sex scene has nothing to do with the, with the plot. Why are we watching it? And I'm like, cause it's, cause it's hot. 
That's that's why we're watching it. Will you shut up? Because it's a simulation <laughs> of real life, uh, right? You know, people fuck. Right. Not everything is, and also not everything in life is tied to the plot, right? Right. Sometimes, like we do things every day that have nothing to do with the plot of our lives and moving us forward. We waste time. We do different things. What it's we're doing fine. right now on this podcast? Exactly. What's that have to do with the rest <laughs> of my life? Hopefully, probably nothing. I mean, I would assume nothing. Yeah. Um, so I, I just thought it was interesting that they had, you know the religious aspect tied to that. And then, you know, the end of the movie ties into that too. Well, that's kind of what I was going to ask you was, does, is it in service just for the, for the, for the, I guess the final scene, or is it, would this exist separately by, you know, as a plot point in the film, the stuff with the priest, everything like that. Had you not had that come back around and that be the full reel of everything he, he was able to, you know, have given to him by um, Alfredo. Like in your opinion, like th- those 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 things have to connect, right? Mm-hmm. I think they have to, but I think even if they don't, I don't think I don't like. I think if you take out that last scene and exchange it with something else or change it in some way, I don't yeah. think I'm watching this movie and being like, "Why does that scene even exist?" Yeah. I think it exists also to show the kind of world that Toto is 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 living in as he grows up, um, and it's in diametrical opposition to the man he becomes right i mean literally like when you because the movie opens with him as an older man and there's just like some you know some woman in his bed you know who's never really there to explore what that relationship or who she is or does she really matter is she close to him like yeah it's just just a beautiful woman right so he is clearly moved into this other way of life that is not connected with that church at all so it's interesting to see like okay but this is where he started uh, and a lot of it, I think you could tie to the idea of like that temptation, like the more we try to protect eyes from seeing something, the more they want to see it. Like the one way you can guarantee of getting a child to watch something is being don't watch this. Don't ever watch this. OK, I'm watching that 100 percent because there's something they want me they want me not to see. So I got to go see it. And that is the man I think he's kind of become and it is formed him in a lot of ways. So what you're saying is had they done <laughs> had they uh, done sex education in those theaters, uh, Toto would have grown up to be the equivalent of uh, like a Dr. Jerry Buss, just having random women <laughs> in his bed every day. I like this take. I do. I, I, I'm uh, inclined to agree. It's it's either that or his if his dad had come back from the war and you know right, parented right. him and been the head of the household, he wouldn't have fallen into those trappings either. I don't know. But I, I, well, yeah, he probably wouldn't have been able to spend that much time at the theater, right? If that his, actually is true. Dad was home. Yeah. Like he's searching for a father figure, and he does find it in this grumpy old man in the in the projection booth. Like, and also just like from a aesthetic pers- perspective, I just love the look of this film. Like the 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 screening, like coming out of the mouth. Uh, like it's just it's gorgeous. Like everything in this movie, like you could tell was really thought about. Like, this was not just like, okay, we'll set up the camera here and we'll just, you know, go, say your lines, kid. Like, it's really, um, it's really made specifically and efficiently. Um, And I, every time I watch it, I like forget how beautiful that aesthetic is. And then I'm like, oh yeah. And you just kind of sink into this movie and you're like, yes, okay, this is going to be great. And the thing that throws me off about this movie is like, every time that fire happens, 
I am convinced that that character is dead. Yeah. I don't know why. I know he's I forgot not. about it. I, I know, forget about I every time. Like, every time I'm like shocked. Like, holy shit. The theater's burning up and never. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's so shocking because you're seeing it from Toto's perspective. Like, that's his church. That's his father. Yeah. That's his life. That's the, like, you don't see a lot of fun times at his house. The only enjoyable times you see at his house are when he's piecing together the little snippets of film that he has. It's still connected mm-hmm. to movies, to cinema, to the cinema paradiso. So, like, that is his every. That's his whole world. Goes, his mother burns his ass. Cinders. That's the only thing we yep. see. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like, he sees his entire universe just burning to cinders. Right. It is horrific. Like, I've seen a lot of terrible things on screen because I've watched a lot of movies. But every time I see that sequence, I am like, I'm taken aback. It's so upsetting to watch that through this kid's eyes because that is the only thing that matters to him. Right. And the only man that matters to him is like, for all we know, dying painfully. And it's just like, it is so intensely brutal to watch. And this is the great thing about film and the great thing about movies is that you could watch this 10 times, and I think if you're really in it, you're going to have the same exact reaction to that sequence as you did the first time, which is a rarity in movies. A lot of movies, like, once you see it, you're like, okay, I know where this is headed. It's fine. This is enjoyable. But this, I just feel, like, transported every time. I think part of it, and and you know, I've made this mistake before on other podcasts where I intend to go in on, uh, in a positive way, about uh, a soundtrack and or um you know or score and i and i don't right it's it's like the Mm -hmm. forgotten uh box to check not this time right and i i I attribute a great percentage of how i feel about this film to uh ennio morricone's um oh oh my god i mean it's just it's amazing and even and, and what's odd the main theme i didn't think about i didn't think about it until you said the fire scene because i when you mention it, it start playing in my head again, and then the songs start playing, like the frantic nature mm. of of what Toto is seeing, and I could hear like the film, I could hear um, mm-hmm. uh, all of that just now, and I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot. Uh, that's one of the greatest scores I've I've ever yeah. you know ever listened to in my life, ever seen put to film uh, in my life. It's beautiful. Um, it's it's somber, um, and <laughs> it connects so well, so seamlessly. I think that's the thing. Like I, I, I think I showed it to you before. Like I have this on vinyl um, because I'm, I guess I'm somewhat as pretentious as some other folks, I guess. And I'm listening to it. Uh, the opposite I, of me. Is oh, yeah. oh yeah. Abs- yeah, yeah oh yeah. Absolutely. Oh, of course. The opposite of pretentious is Dave. Uh, so <laughs> I, I, I was. I can. I can still listen to it and and feel something off of that, which is rare. Uh, that's so rare for me. Um, and it's specifically because I'm like thinking about Toto and, uh, you know, I love the transition that they make right after the fire is when he ages up to being a teen because it's played so well because Alfredo knows him mm-hmm. so well. He doesn't even need his eyes, right? Like he yep. doesn't need his eyes to see, uh, the experiences of, of this, this teenage boy who's going through all the things that teenage boys go through with mm-hmm. love, uh, and, and losing someone and all of those things. Uh, but Alfredo's so deeply connected to him to, to a previous point, you know, we've made about their relationship. I, he senses it. He feels it. Um, and I, I just, I don't know. I can't say enough about how I love that transition. Um, and you know, mm-hmm. it speaks to even more so when he comes back and he's just walking through the town during the funeral. 
um, and just taking everything in and taking in that that relationship that they had, his his love affair with the entire um, town. It's just it's just a beautiful film. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, two things that you mentioned that I wanted to comment on. I think Morricone is like, even though like one of the most known composers yeah. in world cinema is like weirdly underrated. Because I think when people think Morricone, they think of the spaghetti western um, and these very immediately recognizable themes, right? And then you watch something like this, and it's just, I mean, it's truly, truly a work of art. Like you could just sit. When And you kind of reference this. You could sit and listen to this score and be transported to those sequences. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't have to even look at the track listing and figure out where you are. You know. Um, and that's the mark of a great score. And there's very few of those, honestly. Like, I'm not a score person, so I'm not someone who's like, oh, every movie, the best score I've ever heard. And I'm like, it's like every once in a while, something will pop. And this is definitely one of those. Um, and you brought up the, the kind of sequence where he comes – back as a as a young man um and that's a good performance too but it just makes you realize how good the child performance is because i as soon as he grows i have this sadness where it's like oh that kid is gone right he's this this man has now replaced him but like that innocence that that childlike wonder Mm. has moved forward right and that sequence is almost saddening to me. And then you kind of zoom forward in time and you get the kind of old man version of it. And I think he's much closer to the child than he is to the the teenager or 20-something-year-old. Like, he is back as soon as, you know, he comes to the funeral and he, you know, sees what Alfredo has done. And he he is transported back to being that child again. And I think there's even a childlike moment, even when he's the teenager or 20-something, and he's anytime he's with Alfredo, he's immediately back to who he was. And it's... It's interesting because there's a lot of movies that are about looking back that I have really negative reactions to um, because this is our entire culture of film and of media right now. It's just looking back at things we liked uh, when we were kids, right? Whether you're talking about uh, Here it comes. comic book, comic Here it book comes. movies or, <laughs> or, or like 80s nostalgia and things like Stranger Things, like these are the big properties now. Um, so instead of looking forward, we are continuously looking back. But this is a more private look back. This is not about like, well, there was a thing I liked when I was a kid. It was like, no, this, this, these moments formed me. Yeah. Um, and they changed me. Right. Um, so this is the version of nostalgia that I really, really enjoy. And this is, I guess, one of the few times that the Academy Awards got it right. Um, apparently this one, you know, best, uh, international film in, is this what, 89, 89. Yeah, absolutely. So, just a, I mean, this is one of those movies that it, it does become a little bit of that Chris Farley show type thing. Like, wasn't that great? Also, that was great. That was great too. Great. Everything is great. Like I, it's one of those movies that if I, if I have a friend or a family member who is willing to watch mm-hmm. a film with subtitles, this yes. should go at the top of the list. Yeah. And I'm, it's one of those movies that I'm so mad at myself for waiting so long. Like, it's just like, every time I see a movie, an older movie that's phenomenal like this, I look back and be like, I could have had years of enjoying this. And instead, I started this when I was 40. Um, <laughs> but I also th- I also wonder, 
the younger you are when you watch this movie, I, it probably doesn't really have the impact because a lot of this is about looking back um, and on the moments that really pushed you forward as a human being, right? And I think I get I get a lot more of this in my 30s and 40s than I probably would in my 20s. Did you notice that as you've watched it um, further on in life? Does the does it change? Does your perception of it change? So I think. If the first time I watched it, I was essentially twenty seven and or twenty eight, mm-hmm. and I'm thirty four now, right? So a baby, how, how much a baby? Is, oh yeah, I know thirty. Hey, I say thirty four. I too. mean, you've you've had you've had one you, you've had one major change in your life <laughs> since that. So. I, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know. No. That small oh, creature children. running around your house? Oh, yes, God, yes, yes. The one I had to, I had to actually lock the door to this office because <laughs> if he wakes up and hears me, he's just going to come barging in and you know kicking shit <laughs> off, off, off on the floor. Uh, here's, here's what I guess to your point. If I had watched this film at you know 19 years of age, I think the movie stops for me um, when Toto is in his late adolescence. As far as relatability. Mm-hmm. Right, it's so like I get little Toto and I get uh, teenage Toto, and I, and I and I know my hopeless romantic ass because that's who what kind of who I was back then. Um, I would have been like, oh man, I hope he gets the girl, and, and that's where I would have been like centrally focused mm-hmm. on. Like, oh, I, I can't believe she she ran away. Like, I would have liked the uh, director's cut even more. I think uh, just because yeah. I would have gotten more of that. And now, even though I don't consider where we're at to be middle age. I don't. I, I prefer middle age to be 55, 62. I like it. Yeah, um, I like where you're headed. Even though I have done my Googles in the past year or so, like, nope. what age constitutes as uh, middle age? Just to make sure I'm not there yet. But I'm just going to keep pushing that. Every year I get older, it's going to get a year farther away. I'll just jump to late adulthood before I do middle age. Middle age just has such a nasty taste to it. But it does. it's something that I do relate more to right like i like you said looking back and taking it you know i can kind of uh absorb how i felt about something when i was in my late teens or when i first started college or something in my Mm -hmm. even my early 20s and reflect on it and uh, look fondly at it or look with a more critical eye whatever the case may be like i can uh, like absorb that information in a way that i couldn't in the moment and so from that perspective i'm able to take in the whole field Right. Like I'm able to take right, all of right. his experiences because that's what he's doing when he's when he's walking down at the funeral or when he's crying at the end of the movie. He's saying, I'm watching these scenes, but I'm I'm literally taking in my life um, right. because Alfredo was the person that understood him better than anyone. And like you said, mm-hmm. that was his beacon he could always go back to. And, and, you know, that was the genesis of, of his understanding of who he was, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I can relate to that. Um, maybe not relate right. to like having an older man that was a, um, a mentor in the same way, but you know, mm-hmm. my father went to a war, but he didn't die in a war. Uh, so there's a little bit right. different of, of relationship there, but yeah, uh, you're right. I, I think it's, you know, to your point, I wouldn't feel bad about not getting a chance to see it. Um, you know, when, when Dave was 21 years of age, um, in right. 89, um, <laughs> kidding. Close. Close. I was 10. I was 10. <laughs> Close. Yeah. <laughs> 10. I was one. We're the same age. But, uh, it, you know, I, you're right. I think this film plays a lot 
you know, different if you're a little bit older, just because of that. Yeah. And my, my, my 12 or 13 year old nephew, um, you know, who saw this film and he, he and I actually talk about movies quite a bit now. This wasn't a movie for him where his takeaway was like, I was floored. Right. Right. Like he, he just, he's not going to, he's like, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it, it's fine. But those themes and the, you know, the reflection on, you know, you could write some, um, like developmental psychology stuff on this, right? On, oh, on just those different stages of life and how you perceive everything and, you know, your reflection of things just based off of this film alone. And so, um, you know, yeah. teenagers, adolescents probably aren't, aren't going to look at it the same way. Yeah. And, you know, as you were talking about that, it, it made me recall like one last thing I wanted to bring up is something that always surprises me the way that it's played in the very beginning. Cause the very beginning he's in bed and he gets a phone call that Alfredo has died. Like that's the beginning. And the way he reacts, it's almost like nonplussed, like almost like, Oh, okay. Thanks. Bye. Boop. And then it just shows like what is going on beneath the surface for mm. all of us. Right. We can get this terrible news and react maturely in the moment. But really, we are just a swirl of emotions. And the movie is him essentially reliving and dealing with that. And I love the way that's set up. Like, instead of opening up the film in a different way or opening it up with this with this phone call and seeing him break down, right? It's like, it's like a slow unraveling instead of, like, this dramatic moment of tears and screaming and gnashing of teeth. It's not that kind of movie. And the first time you watch it, you're almost like, does he care about this guy? Right. And it's very easy for us to look that way about about loss. If you're looking from the outside in, you don't really see what's going on. And I think Cinema Paradiso is just a beautiful example of the the depths that we all contain when it comes to people who are important to us. So lived up to the hop for you, huh? Yeah, it's pretty good. I'm shocked. Right. I'm it's utterly slightly, shocked. It's slightly better than uh, the Batman. I knew you were gonna do it. Uh, I knew. <laughs> I knew. The first thing you just can't help yourself. Look, look, if you make this joke on another podcast in the opposite direction, I can make that joke here. Now, damn it. I thought that episode was going to be up on a side note. We're talking about an, a podcast that's not related to your list, My Command, but we're we're both on it for that episode, at least, so it's worth everyone listening to. Which, was that off-screen death or Grand Gesture? Oh, no, Grand Gesture's dead. Uh, Grand Gesture, <laughs> that used to be with uh, at Day Stew and at... Grand gesture, I guess, whatever Mike's handle is this week. Um, yeah, that one's dead. But off-screen death, you guys are still turning out stuff. Yeah, so kind of. Um, <laughs> you just never know. Like, you know, we'll do nine episodes in two weeks and then nothing for a month. So, you know. But we're you, back. You get what you pay for. Yeah, we're, we're back. We 100%. are back, right? Because we right. have this and then we have, um, what's that other movie we... That, uh, okay, so that is our yeah. next. I am picking a movie off of your list. Um, and you have never seen the 1974 version of Murder on the Orient Express, um, based, of course, on the Agatha Christie Poirot novels. So that is what we're going to watch next. And I think it's, I think it's available for rent on Amazon. So it's pretty readily available stuff. Uh, Albert Finney in the lead role. So looking forward to talking to you about that. And, um, uh, especially, it's actually relatively good timing, depending on how quickly we get it out, because there is a Poirot movie that just came out on HBO Max, Death on the Nile, uh, oh, no. which is a sequel to Murder on the Orient Express <sighs> with Kenneth Branagh. So see, there's a there's a tie-in here. Um, this is, I'm this is how you married. podcast. Well, here's the thing. I'm married to watching both of those, because my wife has been talking about them the past, the past couple of weeks, <laughs> because, you know, she's into Christie and all this other stuff, and... 
you know, I don't read books, so I said, yeah. that's fine. I do know that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, I don't read books. Apparently, I don't watch all the movies I'm supposed to do to record for podcasts, so <laughs> what do I do? No. Like, what do I do with I, my time? <laughs> I have no idea. Nobody, that is the great mystery, Derek. Nobody does. So on our next episode, we will be watching and talking about Murder on the Orient Express, um, until then, you can find us on Twitter at Your List Pod uh, and uh, listen to our our deep, deep catalog of like <laughs> ten episodes uh, here on your on your podcasting feed. If you found us by accident, feel free to subscribe and tell all your friends. Take their phones and uh, just subscribe to the podcast. So you don't have to listen. Just drive those numbers up. We'll be happy to have it. And if you would like to talk to us individually on Twitter. Um, I am at Darn That Day, and Derek, as he briefly mentioned, is at Day Stew.